how would you like to have three months off? Well, you know what? You do. In fact, you have 52 days off every year, just from God. He's given you about two months off just to be able to relax and to enjoy Him and to be with His people. And that's what we're doing right now as we come together every Sunday. We come together and we worship God and we come. It's a time to be a time of rest, a time of restoration. As a family, um, it's fun to rest together. As a family, it's, it's fun to go on vacations together. As a family, it's fun to worship God together. And I do include the word fun in that. Because the Bible says that the joy of the Lord will be our strength. And there can be no greater joy and no greater strength than being part of a family of God. Because we need each other. There's not one of us here that can live alone or not one of us here that can survive without the strength and the help and the fellowship and the friendship of other people. And this is what God gives to us. And so today, we're going to be talking about this for just a little bit as we look at God's Word in Psalm 101. Um, today, as um, Solomon said, we have actually 11 families. There were supposed to be 12 families. I was supposed to go, uh, but something came up and I wasn't able to go. So, uh, so we got 11 families that are at the Weekend to Remember, which is an amazing marriage conference. And I truly encourage you to try to come to the Couples Garden to hear about it next week on Friday and to learn more about it. And, and hopefully next year I'll be able to go and I'll be able to announce that to you. And if you want to go, we'll have another group go. But it's a great time to be able to strengthen our families and, and strengthen our marriages. So I wanted to talk about that today as well. But not in the context just of marriage, but in the context of the church. Because all of us, whether we are single or whether we are married, we're all part of this family. We're all part of God's family. And God wants us to draw near to each other. And he wants us to draw near to him. And so today, we're going to look at Psalm 101. Psalm 101. We're going to go through it um, sort of verse by verse. But I want to just read the first verse to you. Okay? And it says, I will sing of your love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praise. And I want you to um, pay attention as we go through these verses to the pronouns I and me. Because 16 times David writes either I, me, and what he says is I will do something. I will do something. So there's something very personal about every psalm in the Bible, whether it's written by David or another psalmist, is very personal because it's their interaction with God. And if we are going to truly enjoy the family of God, what's so important is that we feel it personally. So when I love God, when I know that God loves me, then that's what gives me the desire to love him and to love other people. That's where it all begins. My desire to be part of the family of God is because I recognize and I appreciate and I know intimately in my heart that there is a Heavenly Father who loves me, who made me, who cares about me, and I want to be committed to Him. My commitment doesn't come because I want to obey rules or because I have rituals. My commitment to God comes because I know Him personally. I've experienced him, and I know what his love is about. And so David says that there are certain things that he will do in his house. There are certain things he will do in his house. 
And the first one is such a joy because he says, I will sing. I will sing to God. And I will sing to God in all circumstances. I will sing when things are great and I know God's love, but I will also sing when God meets out judgment, even to me. God is a just God. And what David is saying is that he's going to sing to God in good times, when he's enjoying the blessings of God, and he's going to sing to God in the hard times, when there's justice even on himself, when there's judgment even on himself, even when God has to bring about a cleansing in his life, a correction in his life. These are things in our home, not just my home, but your home as well, that God wants us to be able to sing about. To be able to sing in times when things are easy and joyful and loving and great, but also when times are difficult. God wants us to not be afraid of his justice. Um, my children, or two of them, um, went to Mariner's Christian School, and we were part of the Parents in Prayer group, and we would meet every now and then to pray with other parents. And one of the prayers that they asked us to pray for our children when we would gather to pray for them was to pray this prayer, Lord, help us to catch our children in their sin. Lord, help us to catch our children in their sin. And when I first heard that, I thought, that's weird. I never would have thought to pray like that. And they said, you know, the reason that we want to pray this way is you don't want somebody else catching your children in their sin. You want to be the one catching them in their sin at home, in the way that they live so that you can correct them, so that you can help them to be cleansed and to go towards the Lord. And so when we would pray for this, it was a strange thing, but it was amazing how it would happen, that we would be able to see the things in our children that needed correction. We would be able to find the things in their life that we would be able to say, you know, I think God would have us do it a different way, a better way. And this is what God would have us to do as part of the way we raise our families, is not just to just look for only the good times, but to realize, yeah, there's going to be times where we have to correct our children. There's going to be times where God has to correct us. And yet we will sing of God's justice. And we will sing of God's love, both. And David does that. The second thing that we see, and we read this in verse 2, is David saying, now, I'm going to sing, but there's something else that I'm also going to do. He says, I will be careful, verse 2, I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? I will walk in my house with a blameless heart. This word careful, it means circumspect. I love that word. It means being aware of your surroundings. It means being aware of the circumstances, but also the results of the choices that we make. It is being wise. It is being cautious in a good way. The Living Bible says this, and I like the way the Living Bible translates verse 2. It says, I will try to walk a blameless path, but how I need your help, especially in my own home, where I long to act as I should. Especially in my own home, where I long to act as I should. And so what David is saying is he's saying this, I will model blamelessness in my house. God, this is what I want to do. I want to have a model home. Um, have you ever gone to see model homes? Like they seem perfect, right? 
You know, you walk in and, and they have the furniture there and they have pictures up on the wall and, and they have TVs and stereos all over the place. But if you touch them, you find out most of those things are fake. Right? You know, they don't want you to break real stuff. So they put fake plastic TVs and, and fake radios and really cheesy pictures up on the walls. Okay, but it looks good when you walk in. Okay, that's not the kind of model home that David's talking about. David's talking about a model home that's real, where there are real problems in the home, but there's also real joys in the home, and that we are really ourselves in our home. You know, who we are in our home is who we are. Let me say that again. Who we are in our home is who we are. So, so who you are with your roommates, that's who you really are. Okay? Who you are and the way you treat your spouse, that's the way you really are. The way you treat your parents, that's the way you really are. The way you treat your children, that's the way you really are. Now, when we go outside, all right, that's not who we really are. That's who we want other people to think that we are. Right? And that's very normal. But who we are on the inside is what God knows. And he loves us just the way we are. But he wants us to be careful. And he wants us to know we cannot make this model home, the right kind of model home, without his help. And so he says, Lord, when are you going to come to me? I need your help. I need your help. Because when God blesses us, there are responsibilities that we have. Yes, it's free, but it comes with responsibilities. Um, on the library card that I showed the children, okay, yes, this card is free, and yes, anybody can get it, and yes, it has amazing benefits. You can get a lot of great stuff using this card. But on the back of the library card, it says this, I accept complete financial responsibility for all materials borrowed with this card. I accept complete financial responsibility for all materials borrowed with this card. I promise to notify the library promptly if my address changes or my card is lost or stolen and to comply with all library rules and policies. Right? So though their things in life are free, all right, it doesn't mean that we can just do whatever we want. There are responsibilities that we have as believers. There's responsibility that comes in living the way that God wants us to live. And David begins to express these responsibilities in verses 3 through 5. But before we look at those, let's look at Titus chapter 2. Now, our overall series for the next few months is on being ready for Jesus' return. Is being ready for Jesus' return. But we don't just sit around and wait and do nothing there are responsibilities that we have as we wait for the Lord to take us back to be with him in heaven. And so Titus is talking, here in Titus, it talks about the things that God would have us to do, the responsibilities that come with his grace to us. So would you read this with me? Um, it should be up here on the screen. Let's read it together. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, 
who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And so what we see here in Titus and what we're going to see here in Psalm 101 is that there are certain responsibilities in our life as believers when we're part of the family of God where we must say no. There are certain things that we must say no to, right? But there are also things that we must say yes to. These are our responsibilities. This is the way that God has given us freedom to choose to do the things that are right and that are good. And so we look at verse 3. We begin at verse 3 of Psalm 101. And David says, in his home, where he wants to live as he should, in his home, where he wants to walk this blameless life, he says, I will set before my eyes no vile thing. I will set before my eyes no vile thing. Now, what could that be? Just think about that for yourselves. What are vile things that you might have before your eyes? that are in the home. I want you to just sort of turn right now, and if you're with your family, just talk about it with your family. If you're just sitting there with some friends, or you, you don't know if they're your friends, or your friends now, so turn and talk to them and answer that question. What are some vile things that we might see with our eyes that God doesn't want us to look at? All right, so I'll give you a minute. Go ahead, talk about that. Okay, what were some vile things that, that you thought about? Okay, what are some, some things that you think that are vile that might come across our eyes? And just say them. Okay? TV. TV. Okay, there's all kinds of stuff on TV that we might see that's vile. Okay, what else? Uh, games. Games. Oh, some violent games. You know, very graphic games. Very good. What else on this side? What are some vile things? Video games, okay. What else? Cooking? Cooking? <laughs> I know your cooking's not that way. I'm not, I know Rufus is cooking. Yours is, but Rufus's is not. All right. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. All right. Well, I think you're probably thinking a lot of things, right? Movies, pornography. Vile things can also be, you know, things that we might see in magazines. Sometimes just on the news, there are vile things. And so God is saying through David that we are going to say no to things that might come into our eyes. And this is a commitment that we must make. So that means that we are also saying yes to purity. Because whenever we are saying no to something, what we are saying is also yes to something that is far better. We're saying yes to purity. We want our children to have pure eyes. We want our children to have pure hearts. We want to have this in our home as well. 
We want to have this among our roommates. We want to be among people that say yes to the things that are good and no to the things that are bad. As we go on in verse, the second part of verse 3, David says, The deeds of faithless men I hate. They will not cling to me. Men of perverse heart shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with evil. And so he's saying, I'm going to say no to perverseness. And the word perverse means to be crooked or false. He's saying, I'm going to say no to anything that is crooked. I'm going to say no to cheating. I'm going to say no to compromise. I'm going to say no to lying and to falsehood. And I'm going to say yes to being faithful. I'm going to be faithful to God. I'm going to be faithful to my brothers and my sisters, to my mom and my dad. I'm going to be faithful to my spouse. I'm going to be faithful to my friends. I'm going to be faithful to my community. I'm going to be faithful to my school. I'm going to be faithful to my roommates. I'm going to be faithful to those I work with. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to do what is right. And I'm not going to be crooked. And I'm not going to cheat. And I'm not going to lie. I'm going to stay far away. I'm going to have nothing to do with evil. That's a good house. That's a model home. And then he goes on in verse 5. And he says, Whoever slanders his neighbor in secret, him I will put to silence. Whoever slanders his neighbor in secret, him I will put to silence. Has anyone ever said something bad about you behind your back? It may have even been true, but they said it with evil intent. Most of the time, of course, there's just some lies that are being said to hurt us. That's what slander is. It's like a stabbing in the back. And what David says is, I'm not going to allow for that. Whoever slanders his neighbor in secret, I'm going to shut him up. I'm going to put him in silence. Now, there are times, of course, where we feel angry, angry at people. There are times, of course, when people hurt us. What are we supposed to do with that? It's interesting that he says, whoever slanders his neighbor in secret seems to imply that there's something that we might be able to do that's not in secret, that's public. And I think that one of the things that's so important is that we also learn how to address the problems that we face. And I think that what David is saying here is that what he wants us to do is not only not slander people, but deal with the hurts that come our way and do it in a right way. In Psalm. 141, verse 5, the psalmist says this, Let a righteous man strike me, it is a kindness. Let him rebuke me, it is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, 32, we hear about slander. And Paul says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So I think that the Word of God is teaching us this, that the opposite of backstabbing, in other words, of speaking evil about somebody behind their back, is actually going up to them and talking to them about it. And if necessary, giving them a kind rebuke. And this is what needs to happen at times in our homes. 
when somebody hurts us, sometimes we just let it sit in our hearts and it just stews there until it becomes something where we just want to hit back, maybe even stab them in the back. Oscar Wilde, the dramatist, said this, true friends stab you in the front. <laughs> true friends stab you in the front. You know, I think that's not far off from the truth. That God wants us to speak the truth to one another, and sometimes it hurts. We need to rebuke those, and especially those in our family, in the front and not in the back. We need to go up to them face to face, and sometimes it hurts to let somebody know what they did and how it hurts you. But sometimes that's the best thing we can do to rebuild a friendship. If they did something wrong, to let them know that. To rebuke them kindly is something that is built into a model home of people who care and are kind to each other and are compassionate to each other and are forgiving to each other, just as Christ has forgiven us. The next thing that we see at the second part of verse 5 is David says, whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, him I will not endure. So what he's saying is no to arrogance. No to arrogance and yes to humility. He's saying, I'm not going to endure those people in my home who have a proud look or an arrogant mind. I'm not going to let those live in my home as if they have the world revolve around them. There's going to be humility in our home. There's going to be discipline. We're going to try to teach our children and model it ourselves that we're not proud, we're not better than other people. We're not going to have an arrogant mind. We are going to consider the needs of other people as well as ourselves. We are not going to be people who think we are just the best thing. But we are going to be people who bless others. And so God wants us not to have arrogance, but to have humility in a home. And this is the kind of model home that you would want to enter. And this is the kind of model home that you would want to receive people into. And so David, I believe, is talking about his intimate home there. But now in verses 6 to 8, I believe he's talking about a larger home that he has because he's the king. He's the ruler of a kingdom. And I believe that here he's talking about how he affects that kingdom. Just like you and I have a community that we affect. The things that we do in our home are going to affect the way we live outside the home. And what David is saying here now in verses 6 to 8 is the kind of kingdom that he's going to have, this kind of home that he's going to make for other people, and what he wants for other people, and what he wants other people to have with him. And so the third thing that makes a house a godly home is to dwell with godly people, not just in your home, but in a dwelling of community. In verse 6, David says, my eyes will be on the faithful in the land. And I believe that means the land that he is given by God to rule over that they may dwell with me. He whose walk is blameless will minister to me. David is saying that in my kingdom, while I'm governing here, I want to have a home that I live in that is blameless, but I also want to affect the community so that they walk in blamelessness as well, and they will minister to me. In other words, these people who are going to serve me as a king 
They are going to be faithful people. They are going to be pure people. They are going to be people who are kind and people who are humble. These are the kind of people that I want in my community, and this is how I want to affect the community. I want my children to know that they can come home to a place that is safe and godly. But I also want them to go out into the world wherever they live and to affect that place and to make it godly where they live. But for that to happen, they have to make right choices. They have to make the right choice of being in the right company, of being in the right community. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. And so we have to make good choices in the community. And this is what David is saying, is I'm going to make a community of people. I'm going to enforce the law of God, of love, and of righteousness and of goodness so that we can all dwell together as God's people and as godly people. In verse 7 and 8, David says, No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. Every morning I will put to silence all the wicked in the land. I will cut off every evil doer from the city of the Lord. The city of the Lord is Jerusalem. And this is the place where David would dwell. And he wants his city. For us, it might be Irvine or wherever else you live. That God wants that city to be filled with godly people. And wherever you live, that is where God has put you to make a difference in that community. God wants us to do this every day. David says, every morning, I will put to silence all the wicked in the land. It was the custom of the day that the king would actually hold his court early in the morning. And one of the first edicts that he would do would be against the deeds of unrighteousness. And it would be a symbol to the land as well as an actuality of cleansing so that those who did evil were not part of the city. God wants us to begin every morning saying to him, I want to be the person you made me to be. I want to make choices and live with people. And I want to affect people so that they would know of your love. I want to dwell with godly people. And I want people to know that when they dwell with me, they're dwelling with somebody who wants to honor God, somebody who wants to fear the Lord, somebody who wants to have their home blessed by God. And we just can't do this just by effort. We need to pray, we need to commit, we need to ask God for his help. In Psalm 127, the Bible says, Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. I want you to think about your home right now, wherever you live. And what God is saying is, he's inviting you to invite him into your home. He's inviting you to invite him to be the leader, to be the protector of your home. He is asking you to build up a home, and he's offering to help you to do that. Will you accept that? Will you ask for that? Because we just can't do it alone. No amount of hard work, no amount of effort, no amount of money will build a godly home. Only God can do that. But we 
can have it as we ask of him. And we're doing it looking to the future. We're doing it looking to what we want ultimately in our lives. We love Psalm 23. It gives us great comfort. And the last verse of Psalm 23, verse 6, says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, ultimately that's what we want. But even here on earth, he is saying, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Well, what follows you all the days of your life? What follows me as I walk are my footprints. What follows you wherever you walk are your footprints. And what kind of footprints do you want to leave in this world? What kind of footprints do you want to leave in your home? And God says, I want you to leave godly footprints. I want you to leave wherever you were a presence of myself there. This is the commitment that makes a house a godly home. When we seek to dwell with God and with his people and seek to bring other people into God's dwelling as well. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us. Help us, Lord, even as your word says, that unless you build a house, the worker's work is wasted. Lord, we want to build a godly home here at Harvest. But no amount of human effort will do that only by your spirit, and only by your grace. And so, Father, we pray that you would build this home into a godly place. We pray that it will be a place that you will be pleased with, a place that will bless the community. We pray, Father, that you would anoint this place with the power of your spirit, and that every home here and every person here would know the blessedness of your presence in their lives and in our lives together. Help us, Lord, to long for you. Help us, Lord, to seek you. Help us, Lord, to know you. In Jesus' name, we ask and we pray. Amen.